This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. On Money Talks, we're looking to answer your personal finance questions. On the show, we often talk about the importance of saving for retirement, so today we're also going to talk about various kinds of retirement plans, like IRAs or 401ks. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So on Money Talks, our primary reason for being on the air is to answer your personal finance questions. During the show, though, we often talk about the importance of saving for retirement. So today, between your phone calls, we're going to talk about various kinds of retirement plans like IRAs or 401ks. And you can always send us an email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So, uh, good morning. Um, I, hopefully, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, but in the studio this morning, we've noticed that there are some uh, cameras installed. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, I think that... Uh, uh, are we going to have a hairstylist on staff now? <laughs> we, we could for you, Nancy. We would certainly, we would certainly do that. I don't have much hair to style these days, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I, I think in the near future, there will be ways to see uh, some of the MPB Think Radio programs as well as listen to. Uh, some might be a little bit more uh, visual than others, but we'll see how that goes. And again, I hope we're going to bring in dollars. There we go. We're going to bring it. in dollars and wave them around for the camera. <laughs> so with everybody sitting at home kind of imagining what this looks like, the uh, the curtain will be lifted soon. <laughs> it won't. Hopefully it won't be too scary. Uh, yeah, I hope it doesn't frighten anyone off here. So uh, be uh, be listening for that uh, probably in the coming weeks because I said the uh, installation isn't quite and complete. So where would someone go to see this? The internet, Nancy. Oh, really? It's going to be big. It's going <laughs> to be real be big. big. I, I'm not sure. I, we might be able to stream it from our website and possibly YouTube. I'm, I'm not really sure. Oh, wow. So we're going to be viral sensations. That's exactly. But we could. We'll have to. We could become a meme if we did something really crazy. Oh, so, no. Nancy, I want you to work on that. Dollar bills is a good start. But, okay. All but right. We'll, we'll figure something out. All right. Uh, personal uh, or financial news in the news. Ryder, we'll give you first crack this week. And so an interesting kind of we've 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 talked about banking a lot this year for various reasons. And one of them, some local banks, uh, Bancorp South, which, as we heard from one of our callers, uh, people were upset when it moved from uh, Bank of Mississippi to Bancorp South. And of course, they were upset when it turned from Bank of Tupelo to Bank of Mississippi. And then it turned into Cadence Bank when it merged with Cadence Bank. So they they merged very recently. They're closing a bunch of branches. And this is just a weird time to announce something kind of big like nervous, that. It right? makes people nervous. Yeah. Right? Oh, are we closing branches because the bank is not doing well? Anytime you have a merger, especially of banks which have retail branches, there's going to be some that are in the same town and it's like, well, we have four in this town. Do we really need four? These two are close to each other. Let's close those down. So I did do a bit of digging into that just because we've had people ask. People are curious. It is, are they affected by what's going on? 
no bank is immune from the what's been happening in the bond market. So if, yes, if they do have long term bonds, those are uh, have gone down in price. I did look at Cadence Bank. It's not a, a huge issue for them. They appear to have a very well managed loan book, and also their deposits. Importantly, what really <laughs> killed these the the banks that that were taken into receivership by the FDIC uh, is that all their deposits left. Huge amounts of deposits. One bank had 40% of their deposits leave in, in over a weekend. But these were really big, big accounts, right? Yes. Yeah, so most of those, most of those larger ones, it's easier to move a million dollars if it's a million dollar account versus it being, you know, a hundred, ten thousand dollar accounts. So, uh, Cadence Bank, these regional banks, smaller banks, they have a lot more insured deposits. So, if you have Meaning smaller deposits, smaller deposits, it's under a quarter million, or the various ways you can get around that. And so, people are less inclined to pull their money out because it's a hassle to change banks. We talk yeah. to people about changing banks all the time. They're, oh, well, I, you oh, know, my, bill, my, yeah. oh, my paycheck mm. goes into this one. I just couldn't possibly. So, um, so they don't have a real big issue with deposits leaving. Uh, they had some deposit decline, but they also had some additional uh, folks doing time deposits, or as we know them, CDs, where you lock your money up for slightly longer to get a little better interest rate. So that's happening uh, in, in the bank branch closures. I did look, uh, I actually looked on their map at all the ones I could find, which were listed as closing, which they didn't name them all. But uh, there were, yes, there were branches nearby. So if you like to go into that brick and mortar, there should be one around the corner for you. All right. So you mentioned changing banks. And I would agree with the crowd that says that's kind of a a hassle. So if you were to change from one bank to another, what are some suggestions? Would you like Mm. maybe pay all your bills at the first of the month and then pull all that money out into the new account, have two accounts at one time for a little while? So I'm in the camp of I don't think it's a hassle. Uh, and and oh, I've done I it do. before, but I mean, I but you do need to be prepared. And and so one thing that is is difficult for a lot of people is making sure if you're going to start moving a bill to coming from the other one, because say you have three or four bills and you don't even remember which ones or when they hit, you need to have the money kind of in both accounts at the same time, especially if if you know, your bank balance typically matches your spending, which it does for a lot of people. So. Uh, shifting some money over, uh, shifting your paycheck and any incomes. I think the first thing is look at all of your deposits, look at all of your withdrawals, what is coming in and out, and just make a list of everything so you know you can tackle them. And of course, there's some things like your homeowners or car insurance may only come every six months or a year. And you so forget about it. You forget about <laughs> but, it. And here's the interesting careful. thing, because you're not going to change this on the bank end on bank drafts. Correct. So there's two different ways people will pay their bills. Sometimes you do it on the bank end and you set up these automatic payments. But more often than not, it's a bank draft. Mm-hmm. So your your gas bill, your electric bill, you're going to have to go back to that utility company and do the paperwork for each one of those. And that's why it's such a hassle. And some of those could take days to complete because they may say, okay, well, now we need to verify your new bank account by several deposits. And if you're in the midst of doing even just a couple of these, just losing track of one of those, uh, that could be a really big hassle. And uh, the debit card would be the other one, too, because, again, I know know that my debit card is paid for a lot of stuff online, so – I mean, I see that it's a hassle, but if it, it's not undoable, I guess maybe we'll settle on that. Can we all agree on that? We can agree on that. Okay. <laughs> 
Fine. All right. Uh, the other one, and I think we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago when we mentioned it, but wh- where do they come up with these? Because Cadence, I think, is, uh, uh, you know, do, do, come in, how are you on the bank today? What Our could we do band. for you? Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. Any thoughts on where they come up with bank names? It's usually some sort of marketing company that comes up with that. It seems to be lately. And I thought that was one of the interesting things when we had the caller talk about the Bank of Tupelo changed to Bank of Mississippi, changed to Bank Corp South, changed to Cadence. And what you see there is, well, when it's a local bank and it's only in Tupelo, the Bank of Tupelo, everyone in Tupelo is going to be super proud of it. And uh, I hate your loss of that name, but you still have the headquarters, so that's okay. Uh, but then when they want to reach a wider audience right, yeah. just within Mississippi, well, someone on the coast isn't going to be familiar with the Bank of Tupelo. Maybe they don't listen to Elvis that much. So you want to be called Bank of Mississippi. And then when you want to expand outside Mississippi, maybe you want to be the, oh, Bank of the South. Oh, Bank Corp South. Let's call it Bank Corp South. And then when you want to expand outside the South, we got to go for a different name. So you do see them getting more and more vague. Well, and part of that strategy is to make themselves appealing uh, for possible mergers down the road mm-hmm. so that uh, they're not seen as just a regional or local bank. Uh, look, we have branches at, uh, in all kinds of areas, and they mm-hmm. can be take over, over easily. You know, I, I see this, though, you know, Cadence, the military, <clears throat> perhaps they could have the tellers <clears throat> be like drill sergeants. You know, you come in there, what do you want, chucklehead? <laughs> You want to withdraw some money? Will you still get a sucker? <laughs> You're the sucker. Really? A sucker? You want a sucker? You're the sucker. Now get out of here. I don't know. Right. The bank probably shouldn't tell its people that they're no. suckers. All right. So, uh, Nancy, what uh, caught your eye financially uh, speaking well, this I'm week? Well, I'm going to go Anything? really broad here. Um, and that most people don't realize that international trade is largely done through dollars. So there That's is right. an Argentinian company. They are they sell appliances and they buy appliances from China. Mm-hmm. And so when they buy those appliances from China, they pay that Chinese company in dollars, mm-hmm. even though there's no U.S. company involved. There's no U.S. government interaction in that. It is through dollars. And that is because the U.S. economy is so strong and so stable and our currency is so strong. And there's so many dollars out there. A lot of dollars out there. Right. Um, and there's great demand for those dollars, which is why it is so important for us to always pres- Present this stable front. That's why this talk about the debt ceiling is such a big conversation to have. But this last week, there was a difficulty in Argentina for them getting dollars. So guess what? They said, forget the dollars. Mm. We're going to pay you in the Chinese currency known as the yuan or otherwise known as the renminbi. And so that interaction occurred in those uh, China in that Chinese currency, and of course the Chinese are thrilled about that because they've been pushing to make their currency uh, more usable in these uh, global transactions. So that's a little caution there for us. To we want to maintain the top dog status, we want to be the currency of choice, which means we need to be careful about this debt ceiling talk. So Nancy, where did they get the yuan to send back to China? Where did they they bought it from China? They probably had to buy it from China. <laughs> yes. And and that's and and again the the, the dollar because our economy is it's the largest largest economy. It's for the most part it is easy to get dollars everywhere. And so if you're selling products, so they're selling appliances to Argentinians and they're probably selling it for 
pesos, I think is what they I use. I think that's it in Argentina. So whatever, if they're buying something from someone else, they have a whole bunch of pesos sitting in their wallet and they have to change it for something before they give it to someone. Because, I mean, if I sell you something, I'm not taking pesos. And Chinese manufacturers are probably not taking pesos. So traditionally, like you pointed out, it's been dollars just because that's the easy thing to find and swap out for. So, yes, if, if there's and, a time. And it is, again, the stability of our currency mm-hmm. is the reason cryptocurrency has not made that leap because it is so volatile. Um, but dollars are not. And that's the value of it. Mm-hmm. This is Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Then you get to listen to all the locally produced MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Um, And so today we're also going to be talking about various retirement savings plans. So let's uh, begin our discussion on that. So, um, Ryder, let's start with you. What do you think is a reasonable goal for retirement savings? Uh, as, as much as you need. So, so that's always a funny question because it totally depends on you. It depends on what is the lifestyle you want to live, how long you are planning on being in retirement. <clears throat> so that would be if you're retiring Earlier, you're going to be in retirement longer. If you're retiring later or planning to uh, die at your desk, then you're going to be retired for less time. We often on this show say, say, 15 to 20% of your income over a 30 to 40 work year working career and get and getting that prudently invested is probably going to cover a lot of your needs. You also maybe have social security. Some people have a pension. Uh, of course, the higher your income, the more you are responsible for covering that in retirement because social security uh, is, is weighted a little towards the lower income brackets uh, and does have some maximums there. So, uh, Nancy, is it reasonable to expect that you could have a similar quality of life in retirement than you did while working? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, back to what Ryder said, it depends on how do you want to live in retirement. I will say, Kevin, that we work with a lot of Mississippi State employees, and more often than not, they end up drawing more in retirement than when they were working. And so that's an interesting situation. Having a really good retirement plan available to you is very very valuable. So, um, and the other thing we know is that most people in early retirement, that's when you spend more money because, okay, now you're, you're free to travel and go and do things. And so you go through this period of time of higher spending, then you plateau in middle retirement. And then, of course, we really have to worry about the late end stages of life when we spend down most of our money just taking care of ourselves. <clears throat> so um, what about is it ever too early to retard, to start a retirement plan? No, never too early. Well, I mean, I, I, when you get to be my age and my career of having worked, you think to yourself, boy, if I only had done something. If only, yeah. That's right. That's so, right. 
when you start a job, is that probably a good time to go ahead and Absolutely. start something up? Yeah. Yes. And a lot of retirement, when you start a job, a lot of retirement plans do have some sort of, when you're thinking about the tax benefits of them, do have some sort of, uh, you have to have earned income. You have to have earned income to contribute to an IRA. Of course, if you have an employer plan, you would have to be employed. Uh, if you just have maybe some income here and there, uh, you can be saving in an, just a regular taxable account, but because it does not have to be a retirement specific account that you save into. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about IRAs. Um, and Nancy, you mentioned the the state uh, workers, and it's it's a pension fund there. That, that well, re- you have two plans. Okay, and, and let's back up and talk about these two types of employer plans. Um, you have something called a defined benefit plan, Kevin, and that's a pension. And so those benefits are going to be defined by how long you work and what your salary level was during those working years. And it's a calculation that says, Kevin, when you retire, we will pay you X number of dollars every month for the rest of your life. That's how a pension will work. In that case, employers are taking on all the risk because they're having to invest that money for you. So that is PERS. It comes out automatically out of your paycheck. But the state of Mississippi matches a large amount uh, uh, with that and so puts that money aside for you and prepares for you. And they have actuaries that try to figure out how long you're going to be uh, living and how long they will have to pay you. All of those are wonderful benefits. But those have basically disappeared for most of us out there. And that happened in the mid-70s because there were changes in the laws that required these defined benefit plans to be um, funded in a certain way. So employers started to do away with those. And then we had defined contribution plans. Those are the 401Ks, the 403Bs. Those numbers and letters come from uh, the IRS code. But a defined contribution plan, your benefits are going to be defined by you. How much did you put into the plan? How did you invest it? That defined contribution plan, then the risk all lands on the employee. If you don't save enough, if you don't invest it properly enough, then you don't have enough. And whatever you accumulate during those years, that's what you have and that's what you're going to have to live on. Um, Then we have IRAs which are like defined contribution plans, but they are uh, outside of employer retirement plans. So the the I stands for individual. We get the question all the time, can I put my spouse's name on my IRA? No, you cannot. That's what the I stands for. It is an individual retirement account. And uh, so we have different types of those. Uh, But uh, a couple could each have an IRA. Each spouse could have an IRA. Yes, yes. That's so interesting. So the the seventies you said is when when the changes um, started, and so um, can one person have more than one IRA? Yes, and a couple of ways of thinking about that. There are a couple of types of IRAs. Uh, there's not just the traditional IRA and the Roth IRA, but maybe your employer has a SEP IRA or if you're self-employed or your employer, if it's a small employer, has a uh, simple IRA. Uh, Then, of course, you can just have even just one of those types. Say you just have a traditional IRA. You can have 
them at various institutions, various custodians, various banks. Sometimes people have that just because through the years they've been encouraged to open one here, there. They opened one to take advantage of some some deal, uh, and they just didn't consolidate along the way. And a lot of times when people, people come to us and they have seven different statements, and we're like, how about we turn this into one statement for you going forward? Just because the IRS looks at it as one ex- pile of money. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're not keeping good track, of it, then you you just you just want to be careful because you don't you don't get additional contributions just because you have two. You still have the IRS says, well, no, that that was just an IRA contribution. You only get one of them. So as uh, we've just alluded to, Nancy, if you have multiple or if you've somehow found that you have multiple IRAs, it's it's a good idea. Do you just roll them over into one? You can, but you don't have to. And the other thing that I hear from people when we first sit down and talk with them and they'll say, I have an IRA. Well, what's in it? An IRA. Well, an IRA is not an investment or a security. It is an account registration. Mm -hmm. So it has particular rules to it. But what's in that IRA depends on where you open it. So if you open it at the bank, it probably is just a CD. If you open it at a brokerage account, you may have mutual funds or stocks or bonds in that account. Um, If you open it with an insurance agent, you're probably going to have an annuity. Please don't. Um, And so that account registration just has these rules attached to it. Where you open the account will then dictate what can be within the account. Thanks for listening. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Today, we're also talking about uh, various types of retirement plans. So as we await your phone call, let's uh, continue on our discussion. We were talking about IRAs. So, um, Nancy, what's a traditional IRA? Well, a traditional IRA means um, it is tax deferred. That means you get a tax break on the amount you put into it. So it reduces your current income for federal income tax purposes and state income if you do have that advantage. But when you take it out later, you're going to have to pay taxes at that point. So the idea was that that when you retire, you will probably be in a lower income tax bracket. We find that's not necessarily the case because people still want to live well. And um, these were created in 1974. That was the ERISA law. That was also uh, the change from uh, the pensions over to the 401ks. All of that happened. It's all connected in that uh, period of time. And um, so a lot of people have just used this as a tax planning way. You can do a traditional IRA on top of your 401k. Whether or not you get a tax deduction depends on your income. So there are lower income limits uh, depending on if you're single or if it's a joint filer. So check with your CPA or whoever does your taxes to see if you qualify for a tax break on a traditional IRA. All right. We're going to put that discussion on hold for just a bit because we have a caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Chico, who calls us from Oxford. Chico, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, y'all. I got this buddy who graduated from Ole Miss, and he's done real well and made a lot of money. And um, he's got this little purse dog like Paris Hilton had, mm-hmm. and he he he'll spend like sixty five dollars on a Ole Miss jersey to fit this dog. 
And what but I it's so small. How, it's it's a small jersey. Surely they can't charge sixty five dollars for such a small jersey. I think he was even bragging about spending that much <laughs> on it, like a Lady Moore or an Ole Miss fan or something. But um, anyway, I've been telling him I think what he should do with his money. Not that he's asked me, but what I think he should do with his money is invest in land in Canada, maybe preferably northern Canada. And I was just curious: is there any drawbacks or advantages as far as taxes from investing one's money in foreign land foreign land it uh, so there are a lot of tax benefits in the united states for investing in real estate investing in just raw land with no Mm -hmm. development on it maybe a little less so but there are the, the business of america is real estate there for uh for landlords for people who buy buildings for people who develop buildings all sorts of uh all sorts of rungs on that ladder there are a ton of tax benefits you know one of them being Say you buy a building and you rent it out, uh, you can expense a, a lot of the things that go into it. You can uh, expense – there's depreciation, which some people use to you know, reduce their income to next to nothing. Uh, of course, you get the income from renting it out. Uh, you get the uh, price appreciation. There are ways to sell uh, appreciated real estate and property without actually paying the taxes that you would really owe. I I mean, there are just all sorts of tax benefits. I don't know how much that extends to uh, foreign land. Of course, uh, uh, the foreign uh, whatever tax regime is in Canada is is going to be different from ours. Uh, and there, and it, it does depend on the country you're in because there's lots of uh, tax agreements between countries. Yeah, and you need to check if you're going to invest in another country. Um, you need to find out what their rules are. Uh, will they allow you to invest? In some cases, you have to be a citizen or you have to go through a special entity in order to do that. So you need to check on that on the front end. And then what happens as far as taxes? Our experience in dealing with some people that we have worked with who've uh, been in Canada and then moved to the U.S. is that Canada likes to get their um, their share. And so mm-hmm. yes. be careful with all of that. And so it was just kind of funny that he mentioned buying land in northern northern Canada, Canada. because there was years ago, and I was trying to find it. There was years ago, uh, the I believe it was the Canadian government sold a port, which was like the northernmost port in in Canada, because it was it was frozen in like, year round, yeah. and so they sold yep. it. Uh, but because uh, as the as the oceans warm, is this like the selling the Brooklyn Bridge, it, uh, maybe. Right. But it's kind of like selling something which may become a valuable asset in the future. I don't I don't know the full story there, but that's what what came to mind. I thought I thought he was trying to uh, buy an iced in port. The other caution about investing in real estate in real property is it is not as liquid as a stock, a bond, your savings account. Um, You know, I'm always saying you can't break off that brick or pick up a pile of dirt and take it down to the grocery store to pay your bills. And the value of it, well, you know, I can't just look at it up online very easily like I can look up my stock and I know any point in the day what it is worth. Um, That can fluctuate. And, you know, for most people, you can't just sell part of it. You have to sell the whole thing versus if I own shares of stock, if I own a thousand shares of Apple, I can sell 
10 shares of Apple and get the cash that I need. I can't quite do that with most pieces of property. Well, let me ask you, I appreciate that, and that all makes sense to me, but is there any tax benefit in buying a $65 miniature old Mr. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't no. Okay, good. I'm going to pass that along. Yeah, unless, <laughs> unless, now I, I have thought of one thing, unless you oh use gosh. that dog as part of your marketing campaign you on go. your business. Oh, my goodness. There you go. I was going to say, we got to be real careful about <laughs> this fine line between great advice and, and tax fraud. <laughs> Thanks a lot, y'all. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Chico, for the call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines for just a bit. Susan has called in from Hattiesburg today. Good morning, Susan. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I recently sold a piece of property that I've owned for, gosh, at least 14 years. Um, and I received a check for $49,000 change. And I'm wondering, um, for tax purposes, what is the best? thing to do should I I was under the impression that if I put that money toward a more expensive property that I wouldn't be taxed or taxed so much on it or is it better to pay on my student loan my tax lady says that my income is such that I don't get any tax break on the interest on my student loan so she suggests that I put it toward that but I do have um, vacation property that was more than my student loan. So I'm just wondering, what what is the best way tax-wise? So um, this property, was it a primary residence, or was this just a, a piece of property that you held outside of where you lived? It, it was part of a primary residence, but when I sold the house, it was with 20 acres, and then there was an additional 8 acres that okay. so the, the owner finance. Because you do Please. get a tax break on a primary residence, when you sell it, you can have a capital gain for a single person of up to 250000 and not have to pay tax on it. So in this case, that does not qualify. So the question is, what is the cost basis of that eight acres? And how does it compare to what the proceeds are? I'm not sure. So, I mean, it sounds like, uh, may I miss her, but some of it, was the primary residence, so some of it will yeah, qualify. It was, it was primary residence, but yes. when it was sold, it was sold separately because they could not afford to buy it at the time. So they did, we owner financed it and they leased it for four years. All right. This is a really fuzzy area because typically with primary residence, you are allowed so much land around that, depending on the total amount of land. So you need to check with your CPA to see if this would qualify as a primary residence sale. And again, if it's primary residence, no tax to pay on it. Mm -hmm. If it's not, then you have to figure out what did I initially pay for this slice of land versus what I sold it for. And the difference will be your capital gain. And if your income is low enough, the capital gain tax may be very small, I would think. And and she raised an interesting point for folks who are maybe selling their uh, primary residence. Uh, part of this was, you said, leased for four years. One of the key things is that it has to have been a primary residence. I'm I want to say within two years, two years of you selling yes. it. So it gives you some time, some generous time to sell it after you live there. But uh, if you are planning on selling something, you 
want to hit that window so you get that generous exemption. Another thing you mentioned, you got a $49,000 check from it. That is not necessarily all taxable gain. Correct, some of that, yeah. if you had paid down some, uh, some, some of the mortgage on it, maybe some of that... Some of that is gain, no doubt, but not all of that necessarily. And like Nancy said, this, your CPA, your your tax repair should be able to help you very easily understand the tax impact of that sale. One of the things you mentioned is buying another property and so that you wouldn't have to pay taxes on that gain. So I believe what you're referring to there is a uh, 1031 exchange where you uh, you you sell a property and then buy another property and it's that's what I kind of alluded to uh, with the last caller where you can just roll that uh, sale price into a new purchase and not have to pay taxes on that gain. This is a massive tax benefit to people who are in the real estate business. Uh, you cannot do that with a primary residence is one of uh, one of the stipulations there. But you also have to do that in a very specific way. You typically have you have to have a qualified intermediary who's going to hold the money. So you mentioned a check coming to you. It's not mm-hmm. going to qualify. It's got to be a qualified intermediary. You have to know you're going into a 1031 exchange to do this. You have to identify a property. You have a pretty short window to identify and then purchase that property. So that is one thing to do if you're in the real estate business. And I would really only suggest that either A, the capital gains are just massive and uncontrollable, or you were in the real estate business and you knew you wanted to buy another property anyway. Susan, when you get um, sort of a windfall like this, uh, and a nice amount of money that comes your way, it's a good time to step back and say, what's the best use of it? My question to you, if you sat in front of me, would be, well, do you have decent savings accounts uh, accumulated? Mm-hmm. Um, have yeah. you been able to fund your retirement fully? So look at all kinds of options, and this, and any kind of loan would be part of that conversation to figure out what the best use of that money. But I would hate to give up all of it and put the whole thing down on student loans unless mm-hmm. you're totally wiping it out. Would you be? No. Okay, and, and, that's and, a problem. And also another thing, just sp- since you specifically mentioned student loans, so many student loans have built-in forgiveness. And you know, one, I, we see people who are, oh, just a few years out for, for, from forgiveness, thinking, oh, I'm just really anxious to pay these off. It's like, it, you'll, it, it'll be paid off without your effort uh, soon anyway. So do consider very carefully the terms of your own student loan. Also, if they're a low interest student loan, if if there's some old three percent student loans, I mean that's a great deal. And there if it gives you some financial flexibility to keep that, it may make sense. Uh, but yes, like Nancy mentioned, there's all sorts of other things to consider about what's the best place for my money. We usually recommend beefing up that emergency savings account, making sure your your cash flow is gonna be A okay over, you know, any given few month period. Uh, of course, making sure you have great retirement going on. Make sure you have other accessible investments uh, before looking at something like student loans, which is a, just usually right. a very um, – the terms can make it easier to manage than some other debts. Yeah, I don't think I qualify for any kind of forgiveness of my student loans. So forgiveness is built into almost all repayment plans now. I don't know what per- it is. It is if they're upper, federally subsidized. Uh, the federal, yes, if it's federal student loans. If they are private student loans, you don't have this forgiveness. Uh, but anyone on, 
I don't know all of the names of the repayment plans, but payee, repayee, uh, IBR, ICR. Uh, there are various repayment plans that have built-in forgiveness after a certain amount of time. Also, a lot of those changes, were, there's a lot of student loan stuff that's very much up in the air right now, but making those re, uh, the, the, that forgiveness built into more loans and uh, more automatic. It's, I mean, truly... With the, if it is federal loans, there's probably like a 95% chance you have some forgiveness built in. So I should call the loan yes. um, servicer. Mm-hmm. Call your servicer. And, and just you need, this is just a great time to sit down and look at your entire financial plan and the best use of this money. All right. Well, thank you very much. I Thanks. We're glad you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodger Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Uh, an interesting uh, question that uh, came up from uh, Chico's call. Can you invest in foreign stock markets? Yes. OK. Would you want to do that? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's fairly common. There's two ways to do it. You can buy a fund in the United States, or there's several ways to do it. You can buy a fund in the United States that invests in foreign markets. So you don't have to actually go to the other markets and worry about, oh, no, am I awake when the London or Hong Kong market is open? Because that's a real issue for some folks, um, sleeplessness. Another way of doing it is some foreign countries do list on United States markets. So you can just go to our stock markets and buy foreign countries. Sometimes a very popular uh, company abroad may have what's called an ADR, an American Depository Receipt, which trades on a U.S. exchange, which isn't exactly their shares, but it's pretty much the same thing. Essentially, a bank has bought up a bunch of their shares and said, all right, you can you can buy a share of this basket of shares. Uh, then, yes, it is possible to open accounts which can trade on foreign exchanges. That's uh, usually a little more complicated. A lot of brokers will have – there's just different levels of compliance and regulation, so they won't let you do that in just a regular old account that you might open up. It is possible, though. Uh, for most people's purposes, though, we're big fans of using a fund for that international exposure uh, if it is appropriate for your investment plan. All right. We had some phone issues, part of which I was the fault of, but I think we've got it all worked out now. So let's try Michael in Hattiesburg again. Michael, sorry for the delay, but I think you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Love your program and appreciate everything y'all do. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, I was calling for y'all to mention, um, since we're talking about IRAs and uh, the RMDs and charitable contributions, you know, the ability to do that and, and reduce your taxable income. And I'm not aware of any other way of reducing your taxable income from RMDs. Is there anything else? We are big fans of those qualified charitable distributions, QCDs in the lingo. Uh, And you can actually start the QCDs at age 70 and a half, which is the old RMD age. And uh, the new RMD age is now 73, but they've preserved the 70 and a half for the qualified charitable distributions. And recently they've decided they're going to index the amount you can contribute to charity to inflation. Uh, The limit is pretty high. It's $100,000 per person already. Amazing. So so if you have a $100,000 RMD, congratulations. You are a very successful saver and investor throughout your life. Uh, and you can give that to charity. The beauty of this is if you give that money directly from your IRA to charity, it does not count as income. Typically, if you withdrew it to your own bank account and then wrote a check to the charity – 
that would count as income to you and then a tax deduction for giving it away. The issue now is that we have a much higher standard deduction. So a lot of people for even fairly generous charitable gifts aren't necessarily able to itemize those deductions. Uh, so this is a way to both reduce your income for tax purposes uh, and give to the charity and take that standard deduction. Uh, Michael, one other way you can reduce that RMD, which we've been using some mm. strategies, is Roth conversions. So um, that means really looking strategically at your current income and your future income. You may have a window of time when you can start drawing down by converting partially that traditional IRA over to a Roth IRA. When you do that conversion, you pay the tax on it in the year of the conversion. But then once it goes into the Roth IRA account, it is tax free. And that's the beauty of it. And then the great thing is you are passing on on to your heirs tax-free money. If you pass on a traditional IRA, they're going to have 10 years if they are not a spouse in which they have to draw all that down and pay taxes on it. Um, They will still have 10 years in a Roth IRA, but they won't have a tax bill. And we've been doing that for a lot of people because we are convinced that we're going to have higher tax rates in the future. So we're just going ahead and bringing those into the present, uh, sucking it up, paying the tax bill now, and having that advantage later. And it's not this is this is an important tax planning thing for anyone with a, a reasonably large IRA, especially if you have retired at least a few years before age seventy three. So, just an example: I was working with somebody the other day who was going to be bumped way higher in his taxes in about six years when he starts his RMDs. But if we go ahead and start some withdrawals now, we can withdraw it at a lower tax bracket and we can either he can either just take it and spend it if he wanted to very modest so he doesn't really need it or he can put it in a Roth IRA where it will grow tax free forever and this not only lowers it he pays a little bit more in tax to avoid a lot of tax later so he lowers his overall lifetime taxes and also has a pot which he does not have to withdraw from, which it just makes it easier to make some portfolio decisions about where we want to make various investments, what accounts we want to use. It makes gives him a lot more flexibility with his future income and with his portfolio. All right, uh, Michael, thanks for your call. Let's see if we can work uh, maybe one final call in for this hour, and it goes to Steve, who has called in today from Long Beach. Good morning, Steve. You're on the air with us. Good morning, yes. I have a question regarding probate. Uh, I moved here from Wisconsin. My son is my uh, executor, my uh, my will, and my attorney are up there. My Wisconsin attorney suggested that I file for probate. <clears throat> I'm not even sure what the right terminology is, but can you uh, maybe enlighten me a little bit on what I need for probate, and will probate help uh, at my passing, help uh, get the property up to my son? Hmm. Okay. So, um, so probate in Mississippi and probate is a state thing. So in Mississippi, it's not a big deal. A lot of people get sold into um, developing a big trust plan to avoid probate. But here in Mississippi, it's not that big of a deal. Do you have property in more than one state? No, just just Mississippi. Okay. So where a revocable trust or living trust makes sense, 
which avoids probate, is when you have property in more than one state. And you're going to have to probate in multiple states, again, because it's uh, state issues are governed by the state. Um, if you don't, you may not need it. So it, you might want to just sit down with a local attorney and have that person look at your current will to see if it is sufficient based on the laws of Mississippi. Because again, w- when you pass away, if you're still here in Mississippi, it's going to be governed by our rules and regulations and may not fit mm-hmm. the design of what the Wisconsin attorney did. So just have a local person look at that and ask you questions. Uh, you may not need to go beyond that. Okay. Is there a certain type of attorney that I would uh, go to? Uh, is there a specific attorney that handles things like this? Yes, they'll often say they're a state attorney. Sometimes it's family law because that often covers the state issues. But a lot of attorneys will be able to handle looking at a will or at least recommend you to someone who can. All right, Steve, we are out of time. We thank you for your call. Mikey, we didn't get to your call. If you could either email money at mpbonline.org or maybe give us a call back next Tuesday at 9. Always looking for any personal finance questions each week on Money Talks, which is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.